Welcome to The Travelling Senorita, episode number 96. I have been out and about travelling around in Queensland, fortunate enough to be doing destinations from Port Douglas through to 1770 and have been living most of my time in Brisbane for the last few months. It was serendipity in the sense that I must have had a sixth sense to cross the border and base ourselves in the west end of Brisbane. And some of the things I'm missing are um, my friends, um, my family in Melbourne, my besties in Sydney and live music, of course. But where I am at the moment in the West End, sorry, I say the West End and my children correct me all the time, West End, there is so much live music around and I thought I'd dig a little deeper. And as I was doing that, I ran into an old friend's gig guide, Carl S. Williams. So today I am so stoked because I've always wanted to have him on the podcast. Um, Carl, how are you, buddy? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, so good to see your face the other day at the Trifford. Like, I just saw your name come up, um, I don't know, I think it was just randomly on a gig guide and I was like, right, I'm, I'm heading in that direction. And then last night you were at Fallon's. Um, if there wasn't uh-huh. a Fallon's, the, the beer hall at um, Howard Smith Wharves, and if there wasn't a storm uh, on top of my head, I would have headed over there on the motorised scooter. But I decided to stay home and put a song on instead. And tomorrow you're kicking off, um, you're going to be, uh, actually, you're one of the last acts tomorrow night at the Tenerife Festival. Brizzy, you've got it all going on in Brizzy, mate. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm feeling pretty pretty fortunate uh, to yeah to be on the right side of the border as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's great to have you up here. I mean, I'm making I'm I'm, I'm acting as though I'm Joe Brizzy here, but I've literally only been here. <laughs> I've only been here for um uh, since June, I think. But loving it, and um, I think I might be one of the only people in Australia that has not escaped the city to the country. I've escaped the country to the city. Uh, it's an interesting way, you know, of doing things. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I think you're. I think you're not far behind me either, by the look of it. By the look of your gig guide, you're definitely hanging in Brisbane a lot these days. Yeah, it seems to be the way. Now, I want to go behind the musician because I met you. Um, I reckon it has to be about a decade ago, and we were doing Rabbit Radio at Miami Marquetta, and I saw you perform there, and I was like, "Wow, who is this red hot musician that is just yeah channeling?" some old things there for me it was really vintage seeing you carl mm-hmm. and i mean that in the in the kindest way but i want to know more about you um it's not that you popped up but i want to know where you were beforehand like where you grew up and what life for a young carl as an artist who's always been a creative looks like mm. okay deep <laughs> yeah i mean where did you grow up where, where did I grow up? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, my my um, my dad's a teacher, so I, I kind of grew up in two places. I grew up partly in Western New South Wales. I did I did primary school out in a town called Canamble, which is north of Dubbo, and then um, we moved over to Woodburn in northern New South Wales on the coast. Uh, I did I sort of did high school there, so. Uh, uh, I guess Woodburn's the place that I, I tell people that that's where I'm from. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're an eclectic, you're an eclectic young man, which I really like about you. So how does the boy sort of in West New South Wales and then Country Coast New South Wales, how does he kind of navigate his way around as a young man? Oh, 
with a great amount of difficulty and a lot of stumbling. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, um, it's this. Yeah, the the idea of uh, being an artist definitely never occurred to me, and it was not something that was uh, that was considered a, a, like a real kind of. Uh, career path or, or a path of any kind really you know it's like artists were something that's remote and inaccessible to country you know country people mm. uh, and yeah for me I don't know I was just it's like like in any in any small town you kind of tend to um, you tend to uh, Everyone falls into their very carefully designated mm. sort of um, boxes, and uh, and once you're in your box, you you kind of stuck there. So transcending it is, um, you know, it's something that takes takes some time. It takes a takes that time when you actually get to get to grow up and and sort of go out into the world a little bit and actually get an understanding of what you know who you are. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess, I mean, to me, you are like such a natural writer and performer that there is no way that you could have done anything else. So you were born with that, um, you know, the nature versus nurture. When I watch you perform, that is just like, you know, it's like a reincarnated musician from hundreds of years ago that's standing up there performing. So. As a young boy, how were some of those outlets, like I guess, you know, let's say in a country town you're meant to be like a tradie or you're meant to play football. Yeah. So yeah. how did you, um, I mean, did you, you know, were you heading in that path to be a tradie and were you heading in that path to be a footballer or did you just sit and sit literally in the corner and start doodling and writing and tell me about that? Yeah, yeah, basically. I mean, I, I never... I was never, I've never been good at fitting in and I, I didn't even bother trying, you know, I kind of just, um, I was content to be a, a, just a weirdo, really. Um, uh, I didn't, I didn't really have the sort of expressive tools until a bit later, you know, like, like music, but um, yeah, drawing and, and writing and, and obviously reading a lot and listening to music were kind of that was the things that i that i did and that was you know the places where i found you know my kind of sense of belonging um yeah so but was, uh, was yeah. there a teacher or something there carl was there someone in your sort of primary or high school years somebody that used to really inspire you that was in those regional towns that you know I mean, to me, if I had read into you as a young boy, I would have straight away. But I'm like, I'm a weirdo too, which is why I like it. <laughs> um, all the freaky people make the beauty of the world. But yeah, I reckon I would have, as a teacher or just even as, I don't know, somebody that you ran into in the milk bar, yeah. there must have been someone there that was just kind of like watching you and inspiring you. Can you remember who that might be? Oh, I mean, like... Real, really, it was it was probably my dad, you know. Um, I think he kind of probably he, you know, he's a he's a, a painter and you know an artistic person. I mean, both my parents are to some degree, and uh, but yeah, I think my dad kind of 
realised that I was, yeah, never gonna gonna fit in, uh, you know, at all. So, so. <laughs> I would yeah. say you fit really well, just quietly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so he's a teacher. So he, um, I guess, did he pass on his knowledge of, um, you know, educating you in the sense of following your dreams in that on that creative path? Yeah, um, you know, I get like not so much in in the in the sense of um, following it as a as a path because I think I don't I don't even think he really knew how he, one would do that. Yeah. Um, but he would give me st- stimulation, you know, in in the form of like showing me like art books and um, you know, yeah. Obviously, I poured over his record collection you know that was kind of so yeah just just i think just offering some inspiration and some uh, yeah and and obviously you know when i would sit down to draw he would he would sort of use that as a you know i was talking about this with a friend recently you know the, this idea as a parent that you, you can't kind of that it'd be so self-indulgent to uh, to sit down and draw just you know for your own enjoyment. Whereas you know if you're doing it with your kids, then it's you know it's okay. So, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of how, and how so that worked. Tell me about some of those artists in his record collection. Tell me who it was that was really you know giving you that vibe. Oh well, I mean it's a pretty small collection, um, <laughs> but. Um, Pink Floyd was the band that, like, I just, I had, like, vivid kind of hallucinations while yeah. listening to that music, you know. So I had this, like, I had this vision of, yeah, this the really, really quite bizarre visions of, like, this, like, it was kind of like the Silver Surfer. That was kind of, like, my idea of what Pink Floyd was. <laughs> it was like a, a giant man that was all reflective and floating through space. How bizarre, how amazing are they? I felt the same with Dire Straits and Pink Floyd growing up, that you would listen to their music. It's interesting that you say hallucinating visuals. Like I would literally be taken into an animated, Yeah. like not looking at a film clip. My head would just go into like, but I spoke to my husband about this um, not that long ago. He His favorite song is Comfortably Numb. So, oh, yeah. and, Greg's not musical um, naturally, but he like he doesn't listen to. I listen to lyrics. Like yeah. I can't listen to a song without hearing the lyrics, and he won't necessarily listen to the lyrics. But there's something about comfortably numb that teleports must be everybody because it's just yeah. even if you're not that um, creatively attuned, I don't know how that. How do they do that, Carl? How do uh, they do that? Yeah, it's it's quite amazing. Uh, you know, and I, yeah, I got, I got to, you know, go on and discover their whole discography and, um, somewhat later and yeah, it's, I mean, that's the power of music. It's, um, it, it is, it, it it's hard, it's impossible for, to explain, you know, it just, yeah. it accesses, it accesses you on a different level, um. And I think if you're receptive to that, then you you can take it as far as you like. But they were two bands that really did it for me um, in my youth. 
is and hmm. Kate. Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll put Kate Bush in there as well because every time I heard her. <laughs> I would just start to visualize like open fields and flowing dresses and yeah. and Fleetwood Mac is also like they oh, just yeah. have this storytelling ability that is so layered, you know, like, in fact, when you see them live, I don't know if you've ever seen any of those four bands live that I just mentioned. Unfortunately, no. Well, I think I might be a little bit older than you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> this, I was born in late 1969, go figure. Um, but. I was lucky enough to work at the Elwood Hall in London when I was uh, in my yep. early 20s and I fell into a job there, literally behind the bar, and then next minute I, you know me well enough to know that I would have just asked my way into the events department somehow and um, got to watch people like Eric Clapton and I even saw Leonard Cohen, which is insane. And so the music was just, I mean, we were working 14-hour shifts and I just happened to be friends with the Lightbox sound engineer and we'd go up there in between um, having a break and see these incredible bands and then I'd be like, oh, I'll give Phil Collins the beer and, you know, it was, it was <laughs> I don't, sometimes I find it hard to talk about because it's like I'm being a wanker but I'm really not because this, shit, uh, this shit was actually going down from a girl who's early 20s called Kylie when Kylie Minogue was huge in London uh, and so just having the name Kylie was sort of opening up doors which was weird because we, right. we couldn't be more opposite. Um, but it was such an incredible time and we lived at the back of South Cairn and one night um, at Earls Court Stadium, we knew Pink Floyd were playing. We didn't get tickets because we had no cash. <laughs> we were only seeing all the gigs that we saw at work. But we ended up, I think we might have, there could have been a few little um, grassaroonies involved here, but we ended up climbing the, the wall of the stadium a whole lot of us. There were some Irish, English, Kiwis and Aussies. Brazen, I think there was about 12 of us and we sat up on the top of the wall. How weird yeah. I'm saying the wall and yeah. got to watch Pink Floyd until we got caught. Um, but even when we went home, we could hear them. And I just couldn't believe that this was going on after having such memories of them. Uh, yeah, bizarre. I was very lucky to, to, to be part of that music, um, seeing, witnessing that. And the same thing with you too, you know, got to see them at Wembley and stuff too. So yeah. this is this podcast is not about me, but you are <laughs> a musician. When I first saw you, I guess this puts it into perspective. I have been fortunate enough to see um, through my work to see some incredible artists in my time. And you are one of those, mate. Like, you channel something. Like, I don't know the, if you were playing the same year at Blues Fest that Dylan was. Were you by chance? Uh, I played 2015. I don't think he was there that year. He was pretty like either the year before or the year after. I remember. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Because the reason why I say that is because for me, there's a Neil Young thing that goes on every time I see you. And then mm. there's a Bob Dylan thing. And then there's a whole lot of Carlos Williams, right? So mm. that's my impression. But I'm sure now that you've told me about Pink Floyd, you've got so many other people that have inspired your music. Who, who, let's talk about that genre for a while. Sure. I mean, I guess like, you know, to go back to my dad's records, it was like there was really just two bands that I was obsessed about and that was... Floyd and Zeppelin <laughs> and, and then so like through later on when I sort of started getting into um, playing an instrument you know um, and I sort of I don't know I, I, I kind of got the 
I figured out the whole thing about following the influences of a band and you know both Pink Floyd and, and Zeppelin are very influenced by the blues you know mm. Zeppelin more directly and so then I found all this old great old blues stuff you know from the 30s that I just you know it's just it moves you you know kind of in the same way that that, that you know the modern like prog kind of rock does like Floyd but then there's something in it that's just so pared back, you know, and it's just like the core of like the human spirit is just exposed. So, um, you know, once I found that in, in the old blues and I started kind of going in the, all of the side routes trying to figure out, you know, what other artists that, that sort of made me feel that way, you know, and I found people like Nina Simone and, oh, wow. uh, yeah. Certainly, like, certainly, like, folk. I was really into, like, English folk stuff, like Nick Drake and, um, you know, Sandy Denny and then, like, um, yeah, Neil Young and Dylan, like, uh, Joni Mitchell, you know, all of those. Like, that that era was very, you know, obviously that was kind of, kind of my parents' era, so I could access it through them. But, yeah, but then there's... So much, so much. Music out there. I was just thinking when I'm looking at you now, something came Uh through. Leonard Cohen. Oh, yes. Now, he is, what is he? He was the last surviving gentleman, which I think Carlos Williams is now going to take that through. Um, And he's a poet, right? And a yeah. bit like I'm sure you would have um, dug into Henry Rollins as well. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're spoken word and they're poets. So when did you start writing poetry as you were drawing? Were you also writing what you were feeling before you started playing the guitar and songwriting? Yeah, I, I did. I used to love um, poetry uh, even as a, like a young kid. But it was mostly kind of nonsense, um, rhyming stuff, you know, just <laughs> in in the vein of vein of like letter rip potato chip, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> it's so hard when you're writing poetry not to um, like to get yourself out of that rhyme. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean Leonard Cohen actually was probably one of the first. Well, I remember reading Kenneth Slessor at school and kind of being like, oh, yeah, I can dig this and T.S. Eliot. Yeah. Robert Frost? So, was he in there too? Bit of Robert Frost? Yeah. We, we, I didn't get Robert Frost, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, not until later. But, um, yeah, you know, those two guys to me, like, were like, oh, yeah, I get it. You know, like, it's a little bit less um, – I, I haven't really loved the sort of old – kind of romantic poetry you know I, I like the sort of stuff that's a bit darker and mm. dirtier and mm. um you know and then sort of finding Leonard Cohen later and you know I sort of feel, I, my mum had his first album so she played that sometimes and uh and then yeah later on when I started that was one of the albums that just was like wow the more I listen to this the more I figure out and the more I I'm mystified by the words and later on when I got to actually read his poetry I was like okay I can he led the way for me as far as writing without rhyming 
and 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 maybe like he led the way for you um, to how to transpire that into a song. You know. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, like in fact, even now, um, you know, my a project that I have for the near future is to kind of more directly translate some of the written poetry that I have into songs, you know, in the same way that that Leonard did with his, his last album. Uh, yes, you know, right, I mean, beautiful. I can feel that. I actually am visualising that. A bit like the Pink Floyd song. I can visualise it, Carl. Yeah, um, yeah. And the other one is Nick Cave because I just think that, I don't know, I'm on a, an email list of his. Yeah. You probably are too. The Red Hand Files. What's it called again? The Red Hand Files. Love it, love it. It's just so short and sweet and articulate but totally warped at the same time. And I'm like, which is the way my brain functions as I wake up. <laughs> um, yeah. I definitely wouldn't take hallucinogenics in my life because I wake up hallucinating. So that's 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 cool. But <laughs> in my inbox is usually Nick and I go, oh, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like you guys would hang out really well together. <laughs> uh, I would, yeah, I would love the opportunity, you know, like Nick Cave is... I just, well, funnily enough, I just finished reading the Sick Bag song um, and I finished Warren Ellis' new book as well. And, like, those those guys, just as far as, like, making really vital art. Mm, great that, word. That's still, great that's word. still coming from, you know, even though they haven't really lived in Australia for quite a while, but, mm. you know, they're Australian. And so that, to me, is, like, really... They're yeah, like a big inspiration as far as like how you can, you, it can be done. You know, you can be from Australia and still you know conquer the world. Well, that's interesting actually, Carl, because um, you often get referred to as a red hot Gold Coast musician, and <laughs> you know, for me, you, like um, you are, you know, you like well, none of us are indigenous other than the indigenous, but. Mm. Um, you're from different parts of New South Wales. I feel like you're a real New South Welshman, but I actually see you as a global musician. And I don't say this to every musician because some are really sort of, you know, grassrootsy and home-based, but I feel like you've got a real wandering um, spirit and a journey that's going to take you to faraway places. Where have you been and performed that, and where do you want to go as well? Well, um, that. Thank you for the vote of confidence because that's definitely <laughs> something that I want to do. Um, the pandemic's kind of put that, that on the back burner for a moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I've been the only overseas um, touring that I've done so far, and it wasn't really touring. I went and played a, um, a music showcase called CMJ Music Marathon in New York. And that was, um, you know, that was a few years ago and that, it was just, I mean, that was just wild, you know, for me because having loved all these, you know, New York bands and, and writers, you know, like I'm like in Washington Square where Allen Ginsberg was pontificating yeah. once upon a time, you know, and the beats and the kind of, yeah, the Greenwich Village, you know, the folk scene, it was all there, you know, so I was... Um, yeah, that was that. It was that real, like, 
um, feeling of being engaged with you know the world because it can it can easily um, I think in Australia it's we're so far away from the rest of the world that you can feel like that stuff is just I don't know almost imaginary. Well, um, and now like I mean, in hindsight, um, I mean I've travelled so much. I've been so fortunate to travel all and leave the island a lot. Like I, yeah. I was one of the things I was born with was I'm leaving the island, not because I yeah. like the island, just because I want to see that big globe that was in my room all the time. But now yeah. we look back and we go, wow, you know, did we? I mean, I'm sure we did relish in those experiences, and I'm sure you did as well. But now we're so grounded. Um, yeah. I sort of, particularly for our creative industries, you know, where do musicians go from here? I actually think what you're doing, if you look at just this week alone. How many gigs, how many live gigs have you are you playing this week? Oh, just two this week. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay, so that's sustainable as a musician, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Which is bloody good these days, isn't it? When you think about it. So, oh, you, yeah. so you're back. You're sort of. Um, I, I still think you'll catapult overseas way before you think you're going to, um, but. You're making these directions, you're following the energy, and the energy at the moment um, is in Brisbane, I I feel it, and I find that hard, and we will touch on Melbourne now, because Melbourne's just come out of lockdown, and you and I have a um, a love of Melbourne, and I remember talking to Paulie from Tijuana Cartel just before he moved to Melbourne, and I spoke to you just before you moved to Melbourne. Um, I don't profess to be anything other than a Melbourne girl, and I've I'm a Melbourne girl for 27 years of my life and, yeah. and and lived in plenty of other places, but I'm still, if you were to say where are you from, I'd say Melbourne, which is interesting yeah. because I'm nowhere near there at the moment. But it's a reason why I love Brisbane right now because I think Brisbane's, um, I mean, Brisbane's been known for live music probably way before Melbourne. I mean, we've got a go-between bridge for God's sake, you know, and we've got Powderfinger yeah. and blah, blah. But yeah. I think Melbourne was that marinating of musicians and artists mm-hmm. and supportive of them um, with venues and grants and what have you. And that's what we were talking about before you went to Melbourne. Um, yeah. I was trying to put you in contact with my bro who's a drummer down there and mm-hmm. always been a, a musician down in Melbourne, still is a session musician down there. Uh, but yeah. for you as a coast boy going down there, what, what did you find in Melbourne? Did you record down there? Did you find a scene or did you want to rush back? How was it? I um I did some recording down there and like uh, yeah I mean in terms of the sort of studios um, and the musicians that are available it's, it's absolutely amazing yeah. you know it is it is like you can sort of I've never been to Nashville but I can imagine what it would be like just given the the, the amount of music coming out of that city um, out of Melbourne. Um, my my Melbourne experience was a little bit kind of stilted, unfortunately. It was um, I if you, if you want like this is this is a story. Mm. Um, mm. Well, Paul has got a similar one, I think. Yeah, come on, tell me. I love this. <laughs> I got um. So I was I moved down to Melbourne at the tail end of I, I'd been signed to a record label and I saw. Spent a year waiting around on them to make another album, and then I got dropped from that label. And so I was kind of already like well and truly on the back foot mm-hmm. um, uh, when I got there. And like, you know, I just like broken up with my partner and all that sort of stuff as well. But um, 
Then I kind of was it was a bloody like, winter as well. Was it grey and cold? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, the, the heating in it in the house that I ended up living in did work for three months, so that was I was sitting in there shivering. But that, that actually didn't bother me as much as I thought it would. Um, it was yeah, but but the, the the sort of the the reason it was stilted was that my agent at the time um, was still booking me in Queensland, so. Uh, I'd moved to Melbourne specifically to play shows in Melbourne, and then and then I kept every other weekend having to fly back to the Gold Coast and, uh, right. and yeah. play Nick. So so I felt like I was living in Melbourne, but I never got the chance to really properly engage with the Melbourne scene, which is what I really wanted to do. Mm. Um, you know, and then since then, um, you know, even those sort of small amounts of connections that I made. Um, you know, I've been back a bunch of times and I've been able to sort of, you know, Victoria as a whole, you know, even regional Victoria mm. is just so, uh, I don't know, there's just a different cultural appreciation of music. Mm. So, uh, you know, if it weren't for uh, border closures and all of that, I'd be there. You know, I, I, had, a tour, I had a tour booked in, in Victoria in um in August, August and September, so. Right, okay, well, that's just pushed forward a little, but um, with today's announcement, you know, you must be feeling quite um, optimistic about that. I certainly am. I was actually thinking before, typical of me, I might just get a plane down there and then I, like, read into where I am and where I'm trying to fly to and I just figured I'd just go down to Melbourne and hang out and then um, I read a little bit more more into it and I was like, okay, cool, because I did go to Melbourne... First week of December last year, so the, out of their first lockdown, yeah. uh, actually would have been out of their third or fourth, but their longest lockdown, and yeah. I grabbed a girlfriend who's in, in tourism like myself, and we just literally landed in Melbourne. We were, yeah, the, only people, we were the only people in the um, airport, and I went straight to, uh, you'll relate to this, straight to Brunswick Street, um, to Mario's and all those places, and it was just alive, and everybody was so happy to to be out and about they were because we hadn't done masks at this stage up up here so they yeah, had masks yeah. on they were just attuned to it uh, they were resilient rustic they were, their hospitality was on fire we went down to um the morning to peninsula it was all happening had the best time had the best week um and i keep thinking about that time because i talked to my family down there and they're just so over it like it because that's another yeah. year on pretty much but I yeah. just know that they will still be doing the same thing today as what they were doing, oh, yeah. you know. They yeah. just will. They'll all be there. just And there'll be gigs going and there'll be there'll be so much good music coming out of the studios that we're... Can, oh, you, yeah. can you imagine all the... So, yeah, some of the music that's going to come out from um, Melbourne in lockdown is going to be crazy town, hey? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, it's perfect. It's a perfect thing to do you know under those circumstances is write and record i saw actually um george bam bam like playing oh, in, yeah. in brizzy so um i mean let's talk about some of the people that you collaborate with some of the musicians that pop up with you from scotty french to crick to like there's so many dudes because you're a oh, so- yeah. you're a solo artist as such mm. but talk to me about some of the guys that you um you know hang out with in the music scene, the your buddies that also join you on stage? Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of, this is the second iteration of, of, of our band. Um, you know, George, 
George is George is the newcomer actually. So Crick Crick's uh, and I've been playing together for years, and <laughs> Crick is he's a just, legend. Shout out to Crick. He's such a classic guy. He's amazing. Yeah. You know, and he just continues to amaze and surprise me <laughs> all the time <laughs> with musical powers. You know, uh, so he's just like. It's such a treat to have him around, and um, and just you know, he's who he is as a person. You know, it's just such a pleasure. Mm. And then yeah, and and George Carpenter is uh, he's um, well, George produced Lifeblood, our, our latest album. You know, oh. and he kind of at the time he was living in in Melbourne still so obviously we went down and recorded it down there in some amazing old studios um and yeah George is kind of we have a, a great balance of um sort of people I think in in our band because you know George is such a technician you know being a recording engineer and a drummer you know he's kind of like mm. he's very um yeah, his understanding of music is very, uh, like, sort of mathematical in a way, but, like, that, that's not to sort of make no. it sound dis... Um, I was going to say, I was going to say scientific, but, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, I know exactly. Scientific yeah. is probably better, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's and, like... And did, I, I thought I heard along the line that you may have been playing in that studio. Is it Sing Sing in Melbourne? Is that where you were? Yeah. And yeah. was there, is it possible that you were uh, recording on uh, a piano that Nick Cave may have played on? Yeah, that's the, that's, <laughs> we, we can't really verify it, but there's, there seems to be a, a strong possibility that it's the same piano. Uh, Nick, Nick, I don't, I don't think Nick ever recorded at that studio. He recorded at Sing Sing North, which was in Richmond, I think. Yeah. They, they condensed them into one studio. So we're kind of thinking, like, maybe maybe they brought the same grand piano and they've got it in the studio. It stands to reason. I, I totally was channeling that before. I was like, that he, his fingers have been where Nick's have been, for sure. Oh. <laughs> um, now, Carl, you play the guitar, you play the piano. Yes. You sing like an angel. You write amazing lyrics and poetry. You also are an artist. You draw your album covers. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I've done some artwork for my albums, yes. And if you follow you on Instagram, um, Carl S. Williams, you'll see so many beautiful um, sketches of Carl's and just lyrics, which are, is poetry, um, that, in fact, at times you're wondering if he's just a musician because there is snippets there of your music but you also have all those elements to you which I think makes you a really unique artist well thank you I am um, I like to uh, my my goal with the social media is to um, to fill it up with beautiful things you know I mm. kind of feel like you've just got to create create as much and put as much in there into that system you know to to sort of balance out with all the memes and mm. well particularly instagram because it's a visual platform i i use it the same way um you know whether it's food or destinations or fun yeah. stuff um and so to sustain as a musician um <laughs> i mean social media is one element to getting you out there for gigs you know like 
buy a ticket to Tenerife, come to Fallon's last night, good reason to use it. But yeah. having that, you've got two, you've launched um, two albums, is that right? Heartwood and um, your last, yeah. What, is that sustaining you as a musician? So the live gigs, the albums, you are a full-time musician, you're not doing anything else other than music. Is it sustainable for you now that you've gone, we've gone through this global pandemic and you weren't able to perform live anymore? Um, the pandemic has definitely made a big hole in that. Um, you know, like, nevertheless, you know, it, it's sort of, I have managed to sustain myself. I, I didn't, I didn't get any job, job seeker like that that shits me uh, and i reckon you're one of so many legends that didn't i mean you know i could i probably could have I, it's just something that i i mean i'm not very i'm not very good at um just <laughs> the paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> yep yep yeah i don't I, and you know it's come to bite me a little bit um uh, yeah, you know, it's like one of those things where you think in hindsight, oh, geez, you know, I really should have, I could have put myself in a better place. But, you know, the thing, I'd, I'd just rather spend my time on making art. So um, mm. I often neglect those kind of pragmatic but things. I reckon, we could, <laughs> I reckon we could flip that on its head because you probably, to sustain, have had to go out there now and get the gigs that you've got, right? So I looked at your yep. website before and you've got a pretty banging couple of months ahead of you, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, like one of the first musicians, like if you were to look in Sydney and Melbourne right now and use you as an oh. example of somebody yeah. that's out there doing live music, your website's looking pretty fresh. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I and I'm really grateful for that, you know, and that's, that is, has been the thing, you know, to, to sort of go, all right, well, you know, we've got these very limited parameters and we can still play shows in Queensland so that's what we're going to do and yeah. and you know obviously venues and events and festivals and things have all been looking to fill their lineups with local acts so um, yeah great yeah yeah I have been able to sustain it and uh you know that the sort of um it's not a we're not sort of we're not putting a lot of money in the bank, but we, we're getting there and, and, you know, we're touring around with the band. So, you know, it's, it's, it's happening. I love it. You're an, inspir you're an inspiration for the creative industries um, across the globe, really. And so are you on the blues lineup in, at Easter? Uh, oh, no, I'm not. It's, 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 we've talked about this a lot because um, George plays in another band called Little Georgia that's, that's playing blues, I believe. Yeah. Um, and they've, you know, they've been booked for since whenever the last one was that didn't end up happening, you know, it was like they got booked and then they transferred that line-up and then they pushed it into October and then obviously that didn't happen and so now they're going for next year. Uh, yeah, so this whole time I've been sort of, George's been saying, oh, we, we need to get on blues, you know, and I sort of said, well, I just figure they're going to keep on, transferring the people they've already booked, you know, rather than book new acts. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's where, where Dude, that you're going to be a late starter. Again, I've got another yeah. message. I've got another message. You're going to be a late starter yeah. at Blues. I reckon you are. 
thank you. I'll, I'll, um, I'll do what I can to make that happen. And you know what, I'll mate? Love... I'm going to do what I can to make that happen. I don't know who I know down there anymore. I used to know some peeps, but, um, yeah. mate, you're just down the road. As long as we can get that, uh, well, pesky border situation sorted, which it will be by then, you'll be rolling yeah. it. So, Carl, uh, you are going to play for us today. Um, I always end my podcast with who and where, I didn't give you the heads up on this, um, inspires you in the world. So, you know, a person and a place or both. It could be Mother Earth, it could be whoever you want. But is there somewhere, a place first, that really inspires you as a writer and as a creative? I mean, I have to say, at the moment, it's it's out in you know the natural world, uh, and it doesn't. It's not a specific place necessarily. I love I love a good waterfall and a good rainforest. That's the place that I feel like mm. really invigorated. So, uh, if I if I was to name one, it would be the. Um, the Antarctic Beach Grove in um, Border Ranges National Park. It's wow. very special. Wow. And so you're not far from Kugels in that area. Like, really, mm. that's kind of where you're – you're living in that basin, really, aren't you? Yes, yes. Right. Yep. That, make, that makes sense. Walked up in there a little. And so it's called, what's it called? What's the waterhole called? Oh, I, I don't know. Didn't you just call it something, the Antarctic? Oh, the Antarctic Beach Grove. Wow, okay. I thought you were yeah. heading overseas then for a minute. I'm into this, yep. Yeah. No, there's, there's, no, there's no water in that, in that grove, actually, but it's just, a, it's just a grove of these really ancient trees. Um, and, you know, it's one of the... They're, they're, the fascinating thing about those trees is that they they haven't been able to germinate since since the last ice age, so um, so they're just kind of been coppicing off this rootstock that's existed for you know three thousand years or something like that. Wow, uh, I love that. Have you ever been to? So I'm at West West End, and the markets down here at the park where I am, yeah. those big Moreton Bay figs that are all aligning um, around. Um, that park where the Davies Park and I get to walk there in the morning and just they just feel so ancient and yeah forest bathe in a city which is really important when you're not in the country anymore oh it's a beautiful park yeah yeah and hey um just before you do go who's a person that inspires you a person um let me see let me think I mean, I have to say, Nina Simone. I know oh. she's. Oh my God! Everyone's uh, just fallen madly in love with you, Carl, but by saying Nina Simone. All the women out there have just fallen madly in love with you. Like Nina Simone, that is such a bloody pearler. Oh, she's just, she's amazing, you know. And I, yeah, some artists just, just, uh, you know, that you just, they're just goes so deep that you never get to the bottom, you know, so it's I like love that. Up. What a great way to say it. Hey, and just before you go as well and play us a beautiful song on the way out, Trevor Jackson on your website, I can't recall what it said. You might be able to. Um, Trevor Jackson is someone that I was um, worked with at ABC Coast FM for many years. Yeah. Uh, you give me his version of what he said because it was so well written. Um, oh, you might read it out, actually. And it's about you wearing your heart on your sleeve. 
Oh, yes. Which is Heartwood, the first album. But he also yeah. then goes further. Have you got that there? Um, let, me, let me see. I think I've got it here. Because I really like what he said about you. And I thought... Um... He said... I can give you the quote. He yeah. said, if I introspective journey into a man's soul and his follow-up lifeblood is the exasperated outpouring of man troubled by a world that is collapsing around him. I really, It was really deep and dark and I actually know where he was coming from because he's such a music writer. But yeah. I see you as, I see you as uh, a man that's not troubled by things that are collapsing around you. I see you as... Um, as like Nick Cave-esque in that sense, that you're a man that's going to try and communicate to the world his, yeah, his way forward. Well, thank you. That's definitely, definitely what I hope to do. That's, I hope the music can do that. You absolutely do. I'm going to try. I was going somewhere tomorrow, but I think I might even come and see you. I feel like I could chat with you for hours and hours, but we're going to end with a song. And it was so, thank you for giving up your time today because I know you're in between um, live gigs. Hey, I said it, live gigs. Um, and take us out, my friend. All right, all right. Just give me two seconds because I'm going to need to tune this thing. That's so rock and roll. Love that. This is my $30 Lifeline guitar. I love this thing. Oh, it's your best friend. And what are you playing us today? I'm going to play um, a song called I Know There Is A Light.
Maybe we'll got to break a little before we see. 